Tuesday, the 22nd of August, the Feast of the Queenship of Mary. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for your church, that we may serve God's glory by imitating the humble obedience of Mary the Queen. For all who exercise leadership, we pray they may seek the good of all, after the example of Mary the Queen. We pray for all who have died, that they may enter into your glory, through the intercession of Mary the Queen. O God, by the fruitful virginity of blessed Mary, you have given to the human race the reward of eternal life. Grant, we beseech you, that through the intercession of the mother of the author of life, the church may become the mother of many children, who will take their place before your throne to sing your praises for all eternity. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along here on a Tuesday morning. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll talk to Father Boniface Hicks right after the news. He's going to give us a little bit of a, uh, a monastic perspective on the ancient practice of Lexio Divina. Marlon De La Torre along as well from the Diocese of Columbus. We'll talk to Stephanie Mann about Blessed Thomas Percy, whose feast is also on the calendar today. Of course, he's probably thrilled to uh, take a backseat to the Mother of God. But we're going to talk about him anyway. And then Dr. John Cuddeback will talk about a course that's being offered for the Institute of Catholic Culture, Institute for Catholic Culture, I should say. Got to get my prepositions right. Uh, but they're going to be talking about the cardinal virtues, and he'll give us a little preview of that. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. <clears throat> Pardon me. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Cleanup efforts continue in Southern California after Tropical Storm Hillary blew through. In Los Angeles, hundreds of trees that were downed in the storm Sunday and early yesterday remain on the ground and need to be cleared. The rain tapered off yesterday in the Los Angeles area, allowing utility crews to work quickly to bring the power back on for many. Schools in Los Angeles are resuming normal operations today after being closed yesterday out of an abundance of caution. Meanwhile, President Biden says the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires. More from Mark Mayfield. While touring the town of Lahaina on Monday, he met with families of victims and thanked first responders. He also stressed how much he wants Maui to regain its same character as it rebuilds. Officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue, and 114 people have been confirmed dead. The wildfires tore through Maui earlier this month, with the historic town of Lahaina receiving most of the damage. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Holy See has confirmed that a Part 2 of Laudato Sea is in the works. Vatican News reports the Holy Father had revealed in off-the-cuff remarks to a delegation from the Council of Europe that he was working on a second part of the encyclical to update it to current issues. Vatican Press Director Matteo Bruni said the updated version will focus in particular on the most extreme weather events and catastrophes affecting people across five continents. 
Pope Francis has written the foreword to the Italian translation of the autobiography of Servant of God, Dorothy Day. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Pope Francis recalls how she arrived at Christian faith from the grace that flows from charity, the beauty that flows from witness, and love that is expressed concretely through service, more than any human efforts or strategies. He recalled how Pope Benedict XVI said that the church grows through attraction, not by proselytism, and we see this in Dorothy Day's conversion, life and witness. Declared a servant of God in 2000, American Dorothy Day dedicated her life to social justice and human rights, especially the poor, exploited workers marginalized by society. The Pope paid tribute to her life witness by writing that we can all learn from her restlessness, her understanding of the church, and how she served others. Describing the restlessness of Dorothy Day, the Pope writes about her path from abandoning religious practice to discovering it once again, as she was always searching and open to the spiritual quest that led her to rediscover faith in God, seeing it as the fullness of life and the way to happiness. Dorothy Day came to see God as not only our consolation, but the fulfillment of our desire for meaning and joy. The Pope then looked at the beautiful words Dorothy Day had for the Catholic Church, despite the failings and weaknesses of its members. As her adherence to the truths of faith grew, the Pope writes, so did her consideration of the divine nature of the Catholic Church. Dorothy Day's concrete outreach to assist others as an activist and a journalist became a sort of highway with which God touched her heart, the Pope writes, and she shows how the struggle for justice offers a way to realize God's dream of a reconciled humanity. Pope adds that even today, believers and non-believers can be allies in promoting the dignity of every person when they love and serve the most abandoned persons. I'm Dennis Jones. The Archdiocese of San Francisco is apparently headed to bankruptcy court. The Archdiocese announced yesterday it has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In a statement, the Archbishop said the move was made to facilitate settlements with abuse survivors in more than 500 sexual abuse lawsuits against the archdiocese. Many of those cases involve abuse that allegedly occurred more than 30 years ago with priests who are no longer active. The archdiocese has said it has paid more than $70 million to sexual abuse. Former President Trump is expected in Atlanta on Thursday to surrender in the Georgia election interference case. He noted on Truth Social that he'll be arrested by Fonnie Willis, whom he referred to as a radical left district attorney. The Fulton County DA who launched the investigation into Trump and his allies has given the defendants until noon on Friday to turn themselves in. Trump on Monday agreed to a $200,000 bond in the case. And when the iPhone 15 launches in the coming weeks, it will likely have a feature that no iPhone has had in more than 10 years. Matt, do you have a guess? Uh, The button at the bottom thingy? A generic charging port. Oh, so like you can charge it through like all kinds of different things. Yes, the proprietary lightning port that iPhone users have become accustomed to since its launch in 2012 will be replaced with the same USB-C connector that most other types of phones are equipped with. Paul Lockman is doing a little dance in, so I don't have to go in the control room. Be like, ah, that connects to the wrong thing. Well, see, this also means that all of you iPhone users for the past 10 years – if you want to upgrade, are going to have to like get rid of your unique 
charging. Yeah. I'm not super worried about that. I got like a whole crate of uh, USB C. Well, of, <laughs> of all kinds of things. I got like a XLR to a quarter inch connector over here. Uh -huh, I got yeah, like a, oh yeah, me too. Yep. The uh, the quarter inch to the mini plug connector. Mm -hmm, I got a male to female mm -hmm. and a male to male. Mm -hmm. And I've got a uh, let's see. I got. Do you have a USB C US though? I got some USB Cs. I got some USB. A's to USB C's. Nice. Oh, I got all kinds yeah. of different things. You know, the the big bummer was when you know the the latest Max came out, and the only thing, the only way you could plug anything to, into them is with a USB C thing. So all my things that have USB, the other kinds, you have to get an adapter so that it can go into the USB C. I know, yeah. And it's of course, all a mess. the uh, there was some talk about this. A while and now it's finally being launched but the first time i saw usb-c trending on twitter anna mitchell you know what i thought oh boy i can't wait to find out what are the bishops up to now <laughs> that's lame <laughs> sorry it was just <laughs> hanging right out there usb-c it's time to move on the Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Boniface Hicks. He is the author, along with Father Thomas Acklin, of Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. And today we get to talk about Lexio Divina. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Yeah, great to be with you as well. And I know many of our listeners have engaged in the practice of Lexio Divina before, either privately or maybe at a retreat. But if you could, give us a quick uh, kind of summary of what it is, and then we'll kind of dive into to, uh, maybe how to participate in, in a little bit more on a personal level. Yeah, to say it simply, Lectio Divina is just praying with sacred scripture. So not just reading it, not just studying it, not using it to prepare a homily or a talk, but praying with it. And maybe to say it uh, additionally, to, to ask the question, how is God speaking to me today through this Scripture passage, so it's a it's approach of a uh, of of reading, meditating, praying with, and contemplating sacred scripture. Well, I think that there are those of us who, when we hear those four stages of lexio divina, the uh, you know the the lexio, the reading, right? Then you've got the meditatio, the meditation, then the oratio, the prayer, and the contemplatio, the contemplation. I, I think that. We understand the reading, but it can be, I think, difficult to figure out how you set those other three apart from one another, because <laughs> there's a lot of overlap, uh, generally speaking, between meditation and contemplation and prayer. Yeah, and the description of Lectio Divina, I would like to say it's it's uh, less steps and more interior movements. It's, you know, the... Uh, Lectio Divina is an ancient practice. It's really what the fathers of the Church were doing when they were reading Scripture in a careful way, slowly allowing it to open up before them, realizing it's the Word of God so that no word is accidental. Every word is intentional. It's also a living Word, and so God continues to speak through it. So we, we approach the Scripture with a certain faith in Scripture being a unique form of writing, not like any other writing, but truly authored by God. So doing that, uh, they were just doing that. And then it was almost a millennium later, Guigo the Carthusian in the uh, 11th century decided to try and pay attention to what he was doing and then tease that out into some, some movements, I like to call them, interiorly. And the, and the movements involve reading slowly, Lexio, 
and then thinking about. That's how we mean meditation in this context. You're right, these words get so overloaded uh, and used in different ways. But in this context, meditation means basically thinking about, questioning. I like to ask the question, how do I see God's love for me in this particular passage? And then read it slowly to discover a word, a phrase, some part of the passage that strikes me personally, and then explore that. Uh, I like to use Our Lady as an example of Lexio, and maybe I'll just track through that as I describe it. If you think of the Annunciation, where the angel came to Mary, the angel is like Scripture. He brings the Word of God to her, and then she questions it. First of all, she's deeply disturbed by the angel's greeting, and then uh, and she wonders what the angel might mean, and then the angel presents a message, and she questions it. How can this be, since I do not know man? So... This is the meditation phase of sacred scripture, questioning it, exploring it, thinking about it. And then uh, the oratio, the prayer stage, is our response. How do I respond to this word of God to me? And again, if we think about Our Lady, eventually she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. So this is my personal response, my prayer to God, my speaking to Him in response to His word. And then the, the final movement... and. And we should be aware, you know, the, the thinking and responding, the, the questioning and responding, it only goes back and forth once with Mary and, and the angel, but could go back and forth many times with us. We may stay in that space of Lectio Divina for quite a while, uh, wondering what this word means, allowing it to strike me, it opens up something for me, and then I respond uh, in some way. But then I, I may be moved uh, eventually to be in the Lord's, I'm in the Lord's presence, I feel His closeness to me, I feel His love for me, and, and at that point I just stop, because the goal of Lexio is not to get information, the goal of Lexio is to, to enter into the Lord's presence and simply uh, receive His love, and that's, that's what contemplation means in this context, is that sort of resting in His presence, resting in His love. And we can think of how Mary did that, of course, after saying, after her prayer, uh, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Uh, then uh, the Lord, the word was literally in her, and she was able to contemplate, we might say, just be in his presence. You know, I think that's such an important uh, way to look at it, and uh, appropriate for this Feast of the Queenship of Mary. I think it also helps us, uh, because so often when people say, well, Catholics don't know their Bible— uh, what people mean by that is they don't know how to defend themselves in an apologetic argument, <laughs> you know, from right. chapter and verse in the scriptures. But this kind of knowing our Bible seems like a very different sort of approach to knowing the scriptures, a different sense of the word know. Yeah, that's right. We're really soaking in the scriptures and drawing in words. We're not memorizing chapter and verse, and we're not using the scripture in an apologetic way in this context. It's really become the, become the texture of a relationship. Yeah, the texture of a relationship. That's a great way to put it. Uh, but uh, Father Boniface Hicks, I know that our listeners are want to, going to want to know more about this and a whole bunch of other ways to approach the question of personal prayer. So we've got a link to your book that you did with Father Thomas Acklin at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. God bless you. All right, it is quarter past. We got headlines with Anna Mitchell coming up next. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? 
Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have never seen women who want to be equal absolutely degrading themselves. And yet the media degrades your nature, your beauty as a woman, your, your goodness. Let us pray. At some point, our dear Lord touches their hearts. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. More rain is expected to fall in parts of the West today as former Tropical Storm Hillary moves through the region. After closing the Jesuit-run Central American University in Managua last week, authorities in Nicaragua have now expelled a community of Jesuit priests from their residence close to that university. And the Holy See has confirmed that a part two of Laudato Si is in the works. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, annual tradition. Annual tradition. Taking place this weekend in Birmingham. Indeed. At the Jefferson Convention Complex there. The EWTN Family Celebration. It's free. And I know that some of you listening will be down there. So since you and I won't be down there, if you're going... We need you to be ambassadors for the Sunrise we Morning Show. We need you so we to, have what some is it? Re- some representation. The high-fiver, is that right? Vicari- be our vicariously high-fivers How about a fist, fist bumpers? Bumper. Yeah, okay. So you go down there and you'll be like, hey, I'm here on behalf of the Sunrise Morning Show because they've got to get their kids ready for the start of school and they couldn't come this year. I would really like someone to fist bump Michael Warsaw for me. Okay. Do you have um, a... I already Maybe saw Father, Father Wade Menezes. Father yeah. Wade Menezes is... I, I already saw him this year. So I've gotten to fist bump him this year, but I haven't. I it's been years since you got to fist bump Father Mitch. I was going to say Jim and Joy. Oh, Jim and Joy, who are they? Wake up to your voice, Matt. That's a terrifying thought. <laughs> but uh, Jim and Joy, I've only ever met them in person like once, and they were so nice to me. I was I've like, never met them in person. I was like, Jim and Joy, I don't deserve the niceness. I don't. That, uh, I don't deserve you. That I'm experiencing from you. Um, but yeah, it, of course, uh, Father Joseph Mary will be down there. Uh, that's that's his house, essentially. But yeah. um, you know, the priests that you see so often and hear on Catholic radio, who celebrate Mass, 
usually right after the Sunrise Morning Show goes off the air, uh, depending on where you live and what your station is, you can hear these voices, and you can go see them in person at the EWTN family celebration. A lot of stuff about Mother Angelica, because this is a centennial year of her birth, meaning... She would have uh, been 100 years old this year. 100 years old birthday this year. Wow. So EWTN.com slash family celebration. You can find all the details. And if you do go and are vicarious fist bumpers on behalf of the Sunrise Morning Show. You got to take a photo. You got to take pictures. We'll put it up on Facebook. Absolutely. Most definitely. Meanwhile, I'll be trying to figure out if we have enough school pants. And uh, Oh, I know, right? Rama start. starts school tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. I know. Goodness gracious. That's its own sort of family celebration. <laughs> Let me tell you, she's celebrating more than anyone else. She's like, get me out of this Day house one of summer boys. vacation. Mom, I'm bored. It's 21 past. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. To the most precious blood of Jesus Christ, Almighty and Eternal Father, The magnitude of your love for us is reflected fully in the gift of your only begotten Son to humanity. He is not only equal to you, but one with you. We are indebted to you, and it stares us in the face. Obviously, we cannot pay you commensurately. But we are asking for your grace while demonstrating our willingness to love you in this adoration. We appreciate your benevolence and solicit your continued loving-kindness in helping us to put forth a more satisfying gesture of love and gratefulness through a change of our lives for the better. May the Holy Archangel Michael and your hosts of angels and saints join us and lead us closer to you through this adoration. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torre, and he is the Senior Director for the Department of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus, online at knowingisdoing.org. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. So, school's getting ready to start back up. There are going to be a lot of people listening who are involved in Catholic schools, maybe teaching yeah. Catholic schools, uh, but as the saying goes, we don't teach kids at Catholic schools because they're Catholic. We teach them because we're Catholic, which means that there are going to be a range of people from different backgrounds very often in these Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, maybe talk a little bit about the tightrope that some teachers have to walk in presenting a truly Catholic perspective Mm -hmm. on things without 
uh, alienating people, but also without really watering it down to accommodate all the different backgrounds in the room. Oh, absolutely. It's it, it's inevitable with uh, every new school year, especially in an environment where you may have a certain number of uh, students or a percentage of the population that, that may not be Catholic, uh, whether Protestant in nature or uh, other non-denominational or for, from another uh, uh, particular uh, faith itself. And so a, a teacher has to hopefully come to a realization that they're there for a particular reason to express and expose and proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now that could take many forms. And obviously a Catholic school being Catholic, uh, its basic premise is the teachings of the Catholic Church in, in a faithful, loving way. But what do you do when, uh, when you're stuck in the middle or you tend to sway with not offending someone because you're teaching the faith? Well, um, this this happens every year, but in particular, this particular local situation, where a teacher just calmly asks me, "Say, well, what do I do if 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 I've got students who don't understand Catholicism who are not Catholic, but but they're there and their parents are sending them there for a particular reason?" I said, "Well, don't deviate." Uh, the basic premise of why you're there is to really expose them to the truth and beauty and goodness of the Catholic Church. Now, uh, be be it that they're not Catholic, that that's all right, but there's probably intent, hopefully, by the parents of why they're sending their child to a Catholic school and that the school is Catholic and it will present uh, a Catholic core curriculum. And so I told her, make sure that you, you expose them to just uh, the, the body, heart, and mind of the faith. And that they understand that, that this is a true faith, that this is a faith that is really aimed at bringing someone to a fuller realization of who they are as a child of God. And that's where you begin with the foundation. That's not dumbing anything down. And we've heard this from Bishop Barron recently where we've dumbed down the faith so much that it basically can't be seen. But what we're doing is building the steps for a child to see that Catholicism is Christ. And Christ establishes beautiful faith for a particular reason. And that we have this entire just complete beautiful development of uh, our anthropology that aims to bring us to heaven. So really we, tr- we try to encourage our teachers to lay that foundation first, but be firm, but don't deviate. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of people kind of misunderstand what Bishop Barron meant by that idea oh, yeah. of not dumbing down the faith. And it doesn't mean that everybody's got to come away from a conversation with you being a Thomistic scholar. Exactly. <laughs> right. But yeah. what it means is like, you know, have a sense of who you are, like have a real sense of what sets um, what we're doing here apart. Uh, you know, why is this a Catholic? Why do we have Catholic in the name of our school? Why do we have a mm-hmm. saint's name in the name of our school? What's different here? You know, what what is it that we're doing that makes us want to do things this way? Like, what? where's that coming from? I think that, you know, kids who are in that classroom, families who decide they want to go to a Catholic school— I mean, they know it's different. They know maybe that there's going to be better discipline or better academics or better sports or better something. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this is all flowing from a a unique, specific source, right? Our sacramental worldview and all of that, everything that goes into that. And I I think it's it's, – letting people know where that all comes from is – I mean, I think it's a great thing to do. Oh, absolutely. There, there's a, there's a, there are two things that the Catholic Church always presents to us. Uh, There's an attractive beauty and truth. And, and these are things that we tend to forget that the church really um, has as part of its makeup by our Lord. And there's an attractiveness because it is Jesus Christ. There's an evidential beauty in that our Lord died for us because he loved us so much and that our own creation in the image and likeness of God really bears that resemblance. And that the truth is 
Christ is truth. He presents the truth in a very unique way, in a way where he leaves us with a beautiful church. He leaves us with the sacrament of life. He leaves us with an understanding of the commandments through the Beatitudes, that all these progressions are meant to really build up the kingdom of God and build ourselves up. But the teacher has to have this, this attraction as well. The teacher needs to see and display this in the, in the, in the classroom where, where the teacher really is in love with our Lord. And a student will gravitate to that love. He will be curious and ask the teacher, why do you love him so much? Why are you stressing prayer so much? Why is there a corpus in the classroom? Why do we have to begin every day with prayer? Uh, why are we taking a noonday Angelus break? What is the Angelus, so to speak? All those things are evidence of beauty. And a child will resonate with that. And really, uh, it will stir their curiosity to investigate the truth more. Well, that's a much better answer than why are we praying at the beginning of every class? Well, because the principal, you know, Sister <laughs> Bernadette makes us That's do right. it. Uh, don't worry about it. It will only take two minutes, <laughs> right? right? I mean, this is a very right. different kind of thing. I mean, we're not doing this because we're required to do it. I mean, we want. I mean, the the uh, the difference of going to a Catholic school means that we are going to take uh, great pains and make good efforts to do things differently, even when we're not all feeling like it. Uh, but oh, that absolutely. still um, should have kind of like a a sum total of joy at the end of the day, even if mm -hmm. it's not happy clappy every single day along the way through the school year. So Amen. good stuff, Marlon De La Torre. If our listeners want to connect with you and uh, maybe get some thoughts on catechesis and all of it as we head into a new school year, how do they do so? They can really connect with me at knowingisdoing.org or look me up in the Diocese of Columbus. All right, sounds great. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Of course, new school year means new football season, so I'll let you say it on your way out, Marlon. Uh, thank you, Matt. Go Bucks. There it is. There it is. Uh, we just lost our entire Ave Maria radio listening audience in Michigan. Oh, well. We'll get him back for the news. Check Marlon out at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. There's a new bishop of Great Falls, Billings, Montana today. Pope Francis has ex officially accepted the retirement of Bishop Michael Warfel. Succeeding him is Bishop Jeffrey Fleming, who has been serving as the coadjutor and will automatically take the reins of the diocese as of today. After closing the Jesuit-run Central American University in Managua last week, authorities in Nicaragua have now expelled a community of Jesuit priests from their private residence close to the university. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a press release, the Conference of Jesuit Provincials of Latin America and the Caribbean said that on the 19th of August, the community was ordered by the police to leave Villa Carmen, their personal residence, despite showing documents proving that the building was not part of the university, but a private property belonging to the Jesuits. The Jesuit priests are safe and now hosted in the Centro Sant'Ignacio in the Nicaraguan capital. The expulsion is the latest move in the crackdown of Daniel Ortega's Sandinista regime against the Catholic Church and the opposition. On August the 16th, the Nicaraguan authorities confiscated the prestigious Jesuit Central American University, alleging that it was a center of terrorism delegation has been rejected by the university's management as totally false and unfounded. 
the jesuit superior general father arturo de sosa joined last week in expressing solidarity with the jesuits in nicaragua while appealing for paths of dialogue the closure of uca and the subsequent expulsion of the jesuits come a year after the arrest of bishop rolando alvarez of matacalpa who has been sentenced to over twenty-six years in jail and is currently detained in a high-security prison in managua over the past months several organizations have appealed for his liberation the appeal was reiterated last week by the inter-american commission of human rights and the un high commissioner for human rights for anglophone central america and the caribbean I am Lisa Zingarini. The Holy See has confirmed that a part two of the encyclical Laudato Si is in the works. Vatican News reports the Holy Father had revealed in off-the-cuff remarks to a delegation from the Council of Europe yesterday that he was working on a second part to the encyclical in order to update it to current issues. Vatican Press Director Matteo Bruni later said the updated version will focus in particular on the most recent extreme weather events and catastrophes affecting people across five continents. More rain is expected to fall in parts of the West today as Hillary moves through the region. The system made history this week as the first tropical storm to hit Southern California in decades, bringing record-breaking rainfall, extreme flooding, and power outages. Schools in San Diego and Los Angeles that were closed yesterday are set to reopen today. Nevada also saw heavy rain, while states as far north as Oregon and Idaho could still see flooding. Hillary has since weakened into a post-tropical cyclone. President Biden says the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires there. More from Mark Mayfield. While touring the town of Lahaina on Monday, he met with families of victims and thanked first responders. He also stressed how much he wants Maui to regain its same character as it rebuilds. Officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue, and 114 people have been confirmed dead. The wildfires tore through Maui earlier this month, with the historic town of Lahaina receiving most of the damage. I'm Mark Mayfield. The controversial former bishop of Albany, Albany, who just weeks ago had announced that he had entered into an invalid civil marriage, has died. Bishop Emeritus Howard Hubbard died Saturday at the age of 84. Hubbard, though accused, maintained that he never committed abuse, but did admit to failing to report and to reassigning abusive priests. Current Albany Bishop Edward Scharfenberger released a statement saying, quote, we join with everyone who can see this moment as an occasion to pray for all priests, living and deceased, and those they serve. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. The it's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. There is no need to get upset if we find that we are not on equally friendly terms with everyone, provided we love our neighbor cordially, with real affection, as the Lord has commanded us, preferring the other person always and in everything above ourselves, according to the order of holy charity, and never refusing to do anything we can for him or her. We must be prepared to do everything for our neighbor except damn ourselves. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Stephanie Mann back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Go read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. It's named after her book. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Hannah. It is good, good to, to talk have to you, you again. Yes, good to talk to you. And we are continuing yes. our journey through Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors, available through Sophia Institute Press. And today we're talking about Blessed Thomas Percy, who, by my count, gets four entries in this book, but not to be confused with his father, who is also Thomas Percy, who gets an entry earlier in the book, uh, because he's famous in his own right, is he not? Yes, he is. Thomas Percy's father, Thomas Percy, was... uh, (laughs) One of those who led the Pilgrimage of Grace during the reign of Henry VIII, trying to save the monasteries, which were in the process of being suppressed and dissolved during Henry VIII's reign. He's not considered a martyr per se, even though he was fighting for the church because it was maybe more political or or anyway, he just hasn't been considered a martyr by the church. But his Hmm. son has been beatified as a martyr because in his Two reigns later, during the reign of Elizabeth I, he not only tried to stop the spread of, or, or the, to protect Catholicism and protect uh, the Catholics, <clears throat> excuse me, practicing their faith, but also he actually had the chance to renounce his faith, which his father did not have. So mm. that's kind of the reason the father's not a saint, but but the uh, son is has been beatified as therefore saint in heaven. Yeah, so let's talk more about the life of of Blessed Thomas sure. Percy. So his he was just a kid when when his dad died and yes. I mean as he he grows yes. up, he maintains a a good degree of civility under the reign of Elizabeth the 1st, right? Y- yes, he he's well of course he's a, you know, he's in the extreme north of England. And therefore, in the Yorkshire and in that area, Northumberland, etc. And so, 
Elizabeth and her counselors re rely on someone like him, a man of, of wealth and, and uh, authority, to maintain her laws in some ways and, and to maintain order. So yes, he's given many, uh, he's given much approval for her at the beginning of her reign. But then comes a time when she is beginning the beginning of the suppression of Catholicism, uh, outlawing the mass, making it illegal to attend mass and, and say that you're going to be fined if you don't attend mass. Uh, I mean, attend the, the Anglican church uh, services. So he then is turning more and more toward thinking there's going to have to be an overthrow of Elizabeth I. And therefore he becomes a rebel against her in the same way that his father was a rebel against Henry VIII. But the difference is again, that when he is captured and, and taken uh, finally and, and held in prison, held in a castle in Scotland for three years, he continues to practice his faith and will not be moved away from that. And, and therefore he is uh, even in the midst of his imprisonment, he's still defending the faith and, and standing up for it. Absolutely. Talk more about what, what Father Bowden has to say about his imprisonment. Yes. Well, Father Bowden, I always think it's interesting to look at the title that he chooses and mm -hmm. the verse that he from the scripture that he he chooses so he is he he has this uh the title is that uh friday abstinence so you know that's going to be key to the long-standing tradition of catholics abstaining from meat or doing some kind of now doing some kind of other penance on every friday not just those in lent and then his the verse he takes is from the second book of maccabees uh describing eleazar one of the chief of the scribes who was pressed to open his mouth to eat swine's flesh but he, choosing rather a more, glo more glorious death than a hateful life, went forward voluntarily to the torment. Mm. So this is in the midst of the Maccabean Wars and the persecution of the Jews. Eleazar is told to eat pork. He will not, and therefore he's taken off to be martyred. And the parallel that Father Bowden is suggesting and highlighting is that while he's in prison, Sir Thomas Percy will not eat meat on Fridays. It's presented to him, and that's all that's served to him on Fridays, but he won't eat it. Uh, he continues to maintain his devotions and prayers. He's they, he's being held by a Calvinist, member of the royal family in, in uh, noble families in, in Scotland, and so Calvinists come to his uh, cell in, in the Lochleven castle and try to argue with him and try to convince him to change his faith and become a Calvinist, and he holds firm. So that's the, the, the pattern that, that Father Bowden is trying to emphasize. Is he maintains his Catholic devotions, he maintains his Catholic faith, and he continues to argue it and resist the temptation to save his life by simply going to a Church of England or a Kirk of Scotland church service. He maintains his faith. Yeah, in spite of the fact, I mean, it says at the beginning of, of this passage um, that he was torn from his friends and followers and from his wife and his four little girls. I mean, he had this family at home that he could have very easily been released by going to one of these uh, one of these uh, services, and and yet his his mm -hmm. fortitude in this and and his his continued fasting even in prison brought about more conversions. Yes, and and also it, it brought him to uh, again practice his faith so clearly that that uh, everyone remarked upon it that he was 
a brave and, and good man in this way. I think also as we're talking about and as you as we emphasize that reminds me a lot of Saint Sir Saint Philip Howard, who also in prison yeah. maintained his during Elizabeth the first reign, maintained his devotions and was tempted in the same way. You know, he said he wanted to see his his uh, uh, youngest his new baby boy and elizabeth said well of course you can see him all you have to do is to say that you'll become an anglican and and everything will be fine and -hmm. yet the same thing that in the same way sir Sir thomas percy maintained this faith and would never go away as he says he would never depart from the smallest matter from the communion of the catholic church eventually he was uh, beheaded on august 22nd and 1572 May he pray for us. Thank you so much, Stephanie Mann. You can find supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. John Cutterback joins us. He's going to be teaching a free course with the Institute of Catholic Culture on the cardinal virtues. We'll talk more about that with him coming up next. It's 16 till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Bernadette Bogusky, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? To reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn. To bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion. And to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. Do you worry about not having enough money? We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 Till, here's Anna with headlines. There is a new bishop of Great Falls Billings, Montana today. After closing the Jesuit-run Central American University in Managua last week, authorities in Nicaragua have now expelled a community of Jesuit priests from a nearby residence. And the Holy See has confirmed that part two of Laudato Si' 
is in the works. Next newscast in about 15-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Cutterback. He's philosophy professor at Christendom College. You can find him in his excellent blog and his man or woman of the household course over at his site, life-craft.org. And he's going to be teaching a course on the cardinal virtues for the Institute of Catholic Culture coming up soon. Good morning, Dr. Cutterback. Good morning, Annie. It's so good to have you back. So this is a 10-week course. It'll be live over Zoom on Monday nights, starting Monday, September the 11th. Registration now open, and as is everything at the Institute of Catholic Culture, completely free of charge to take this course with you. Um, First of all, what are the cardinal virtues? Can you take us through them? And actually, I mean, why are they called cardinal? Huh. Trying to get a little part of the course here, are you? Huh? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the uh, these four have been kind of set apart from all other virtues going way, way back um, already in Plato's Republic, uh, several centuries B.C. there in Athens. Um, Socrates, Plato are mentioning them as kind of, the, they don't use the word cardinal. Cardinal is from a word in Latin that means hinge. And so it's kind of, they're the hinge virtues. They're the ones that kind of everything else in the moral life depends upon. They're kind of the roots of the, not the only virtues, but naturally speaking, from the viewpoint of natural reason, they're the ones that are kind of the foundation. So they're, they're really at the, at, at the center of understanding what a good human life is. Can you talk about what sort of... I... I don't know if this is the right way to ask it, but what sort of sets them apart from, say, like the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love? Yeah, well, the, I mean, faith, hope, and love, of course, as theological, they, uh, in, in the Christian dispensation, this is a fascinating thing, um, they, of course, have, have, have a primacy, and it's very much here you see an instance of what you can say the relationship between grace and nature, which is one of the most wonderful aspects of God's creating human persons, that there's a kind of flourishing according to nature, and then God calls us to this further supernatural, of course, super means above, kind of beyond, above and beyond the natural, though always, as the great theologian St. Thomas Aquinas points out, the supernatural never contradicts the natural, but it's the kind of fulfillment and perfection of it. So that's Mm -hmm. what you could say here, that faith, hope, and charity are supernatural virtues. Uh, they come along with grace when we are baptized, and they have the um, special power of being able to unite us more directly to God. But that doesn't in any way leave behind the cardinal virtues. You can say they give a kind of deeper root, a deeper reason to be living the cardinal virtues, too. So they're all part of the wonderful panoply of the fullness of the Christian life. Absolutely. So prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Now, Doc, I know that that at LifeCraft, you're all about crafting the good life, right? So how does, with that in mind, cultivating the cardinal virtues, how do, how do cultivating the cardinal virtues help lead to the good life, do you think? 
Yeah, well, great question. I'm going to just up the ante. It doesn't just kind of help lead to it. It it is it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the wow. cult of, this is this is what the great philosophers point out. The theologians are going to kind of go right along with them. Living virtuously doesn't get you the reward of happiness. Living virtuously is really what constitutes human happiness and human flourishing. So you can say, they, when we come to understand them better, I mean, here's really the pitch, to understand those virtues better is to understand better exactly what we most want to be crafting in our lives every day, in our homes, whatever our vocation is, to be crafting temperance, to be crafting courage, justice, prudence, this kind of queen overseeing them. This, this is the nuts and bolts. This is in the weeds. This is the very stuff of trying to be the person God designed us to be. Yes. So how will you be teaching about them, Dr. Cutterback? Well, the best I can. It's a wonderful, wonderful challenge that I have. Our approach is going to be fundamentally philosophical. We're going to use a bit of Aristotle, because Aristotle is the ancient master of unfolding these things, and he's the one that St. Thomas Aquinas follows when then in his great summa of theology he lays forth these four. So we'll be going back to the kind of philosophical roots. We're going to use a great 20th century uh, master named Joseph Pieper, who has a book called The Four Cardinal Virtues. And yeah, I always like to say beforehand, Annie, it, 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 these are things that we need to study our whole life. So it's not like, here's the complete course on, but it's here's come and get a little more confident. Get your, get your feet wet and grounded Get more confidence in being able to read and study about these things on your own by doing it together in the classroom with a teacher who's had the opportunity to be studying these things as part of his vocation for a while. And um, we're going to do some really rich things using some great texts. Well, I'm really excited about this, particularly getting to read Joseph Pieper's thought on the four cardinal virtues. Many will recognize him as uh, the guy that we always uh, appeal to when talking about the true nature of leisure. So mm-hmm. how does he treat the, the the four cardinal virtues, just quickly? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he, he actually wrote individual books, the first one on, on temperance and courage, and then a specific one on uh, justice, a specific one on prudence. Then they've all been translated and woven together into one book. Oh, wow. I mean, he basically is using St. Thomas Aquinas and trying to unfold it in a way that applies it to life. It, it's rich stuff, and it's not a, a quick, short read, but it's, but it's precisely the kind of read that uh, introduces you in, into the great richness of our tradition. Honestly, I can't think of a better combination. Dr. John Cudaback teaching Joseph Pieper on the four cardinal virtues, in addition to Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas, who, you know, they're pretty good, too. <laughs> Not bad, anyway. Not bad, not bad, not bad at all. We've been talking to Dr. John Cutterback, and you can find the Institute of Catholic Culture linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Again, this is a 10-week course. It's live over Zoom, so you can take it from anywhere in the country. It starts on Monday, September the 11th, and is, of course, free of charge. And you can also find Lifecraft linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Go check out all of what Dr. Cutterback has going on over there. Doc, thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be with you, Annie. It was great to have you. And uh, Matt, we're wrapping up the, uh, I think we're wrapping up. 
the ICC Book Club with, yes, we are, with Joseph Pierce on Brideshead Revisited. Oh, yeah. How's that been going? Um, Amazing. Cool. Are you shocked to hear that? No, I'm not shocked to hear that. <laughs> so that wraps up tomorrow at the Institute of Catholic Culture. So if you're ready for the surprise ending of Brideshead Revisited. Ooh. I know the surprise. I know you know the surprise. I know you do. I know you do, Chazzy. Yeah, I was um, waiting for it. And then um, on Monday, Peter Kraft is going to be speaking at the ICC on Blaise Pascal. Oh, wow. So Kraft on Pascal. I know, right? That should be fun. Did I ever tell you about the time that I went into Peter Kraft's office and interviewed him there? Yeah, doesn't he have a chess set that's like Yankees versus yeah, Red versus Sox? Yeah, Red Sox. And uh, you may recall, I was like, I said to him, nice chessboard. He says, yes, that's the Red Sox versus the forces of evil. <laughs> I was like, I, I agree with you, Dr. Kraft. Uh, it's amazing. We just that alienated all the amazing. Michigan fans with Marlon De La Torre. Now I alienated alienate, all the Yankees fans. I mean, honestly, I alienate all of the Ave Maria fans. It's terrible. This time of year, every year. It's so. terrible. It's terrible. You going to who? Who would? Who's the arch enemy of the Tennessee Volunteers? Florida, Alabama, Alabama, well, Florida. Well, it depends on the era. Right now. Wait, Adam over at uh, Covenant Radio is about to start his show. We got to say something mean about the mean Cardinals, about the Cardinals, too. yeah. Oof. We got. Well, we'll have to it. save some of this for for later. It's a good idea. We're back. I'm into back it. After the break, for some of you, it is three minutes till. Family. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of August, the Feast of the Queenship of Mary. Let's pray a prayer to Our Lady Health of the Sick together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our Lady Health of the Sick, I look to you for the comfort of a mother's love. I pray to you on behalf of those who are suffering and for my own healing needs. Mary, your love strengthens me and brings me peace. Our Lady Health of the Sick, embrace all who are emotionally and physically ill that they may return to good health under your tender care. And please intercede for my very special needs. Mary, your love strengthens me and brings me peace. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, health of the sick, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're hanging out with us this morning on this 22nd day of the month of August, heading towards the start of a new school year for many of you, those of you who've got kids in the house or perhaps kids out of the house in college, or maybe you are that kid, or maybe you're not a kid anymore, technically. But either way, we're going to help you finish out the summer well as you head back. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Tad Pakolchik will be with us from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has been having some discussions about brain death. And uh, this is a very important conversation, and it's sometimes a little confusing. So always great to have Father Tad to help us unpack such questions. Father Philip LeRae joins us. He is, of course, 
an AI expert, as it were, and Thomistic scholar from Rome. And uh, we're going to talk about a new AI baby app that would let you know what your baby might look like and how it's causing some people who might not otherwise want to have kids to perhaps want to have kids. But is it maybe producing some false expectations as well. We'll talk about that with Father Philip Leray. Steve Ray will talk about heaven and hell in the Bible, and then Chris McGregor on this Feast of the Queenship of Mary will talk about what St. Bernard of Clairvaux had to say about Mary as queen. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. There's a new bishop of Great Falls, Billings, Montana today. Pope Francis has officially accepted the retirement of Bishop Michael Warfel and succeeding him as Bishop Jeffrey Fleming, who has been serving as the coadjutor of the diocese and now automatically takes the reins as of today. Cleanup efforts continue in Southern California after former tropical storm Hillary blew through. In Los Angeles, hundreds of trees that were downed in the storm on Sunday and early yesterday remain on the ground and need to be cleared. The rain tapered off yesterday in the Los Angeles area, allowing utility crews to work quickly to bring the power back on for many. Schools in Los Angeles are resuming normal operations today after being closed yesterday out of an abundance of caution. President Biden says the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires there. More from Mark Mayfield. While touring the town of Lahaina on Monday, he met with families of victims and thanked first responders. He also stressed how much he wants Maui to regain its same character as it rebuilds. Officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue and 114 people have been confirmed dead. The wildfires tore through Maui earlier this month with the historic town of Lahaina receiving most of the damage. I'm Mark Mayfield. The central U.S. is entering a potentially brutal heat wave as temperatures are forecast to soar. The mercury could reach north of 100 degrees for the rest of the week from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. Heat warnings and advisories are in place across 18 states from Louisiana to Minnesota. The National Weather Service warns that the temperatures could potentially be deadly without adequate cooling or hydration. The Holy See has confirmed that a part two of Laudato Si is in the works. Vatican News reports the Holy Father revealed in off-the-cuff remarks to a delegation from the Council of Europe yesterday that he was working on a second part to the encyclical to update it to current issues. Vatican Press Director Matteo Bruni said later that the updated version will focus in particular on the most recent extreme weather events and catastrophes that have affected people across five continents. Pope Francis has written the foreword to the Italian translation of the autobiography of Servant of God Dorothy Day. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Pope Francis recalls how she arrived at Christian faith from the grace that flows from charity, the beauty that flows from witness, and love that is expressed concretely through service, more than any human efforts or strategies. He recalled how Pope Benedict XVI said that the church grows through attraction, not by proselytism. And we see this in Dorothy Day's conversion, life and witness. Declared a servant of God in 2000, American Dorothy Day dedicated her life to social justice and human rights, especially the poor, exploited workers marginalized by society. Pope paid tribute to her life witness by writing that we can all learn from her restlessness, her understanding of the church, and how she served others. 
Describing the restlessness of Dorothy Day, the Pope writes about her path from abandoning religious practice to discovering it once again, as she was always searching and open to the spiritual quest that led her to rediscover faith in God, seeing it as the fullness of life and the way to happiness. Dorothy Day came to see God as not only our consolation, but the fulfillment of our desire for meaning and joy. The Pope then looked at the beautiful words Dorothy Day had for the Catholic Church, despite the failings and weaknesses of its members. As her adherence to the truths of faith grew, the Pope writes, so did her consideration of the divine nature of the Catholic Church. Dorothy Day's concrete outreach to assist others as an activist and a journalist became a sort of highway with which God touched her heart, the Pope writes, and she shows how the struggle for justice offers a way to realize God's dream of a reconciled humanity. The Pope adds that even today, believers and non-believers can be allies in promoting the dignity of every person when they love and serve the most abandoned persons. I'm Dennis Jones. And Major League Baseball is on pace to see its biggest jump in attendance since the league expanded 25 years ago. Forbes reports attendance is up more than 9% this season through August 14th. That's the largest increase since it went up more than 11% when the league added the Arizona Diamondbacks and Tampa Bay Rays back in 1998. Forbes says the league is projected to see a total attendance of 70.5 million fans this season, the highest since 2017. Several factors like faster games, thanks to new rules, and some teams lowering ticket prices are being accredited for the jump in attendance. Matt, Which one of those thoughts? two things would make you want to go to a ballpark more? Shorter games I or lower ticket prices? Like <laughs> would you tell me? Which one Which one do you think? Well, lower ticket prices, of course. Well, yeah. But then again, I was a baseball fan already. So... I was too. I was going to watch anyway. So I wasn't going to go to the games. Yeah, I, mean, I, I might not I watch mean, the whole thing. Honestly, I prefer watching on television. You'd see more. And I don't have to worry about the children getting bored. That's true. I mean, but if it's, if it's nice, there's nothing quite like being at the ballpark. I mean, it's true. But Although I will say this. You know, I live about equal distance, roughly, as the crow flies from the Nationals Park and the Orioles Park. And the Nationals Park is a bit of a, a, bit of a challenge to get in and out of. Very expensive. But the Orioles Park, man. Okay, I've never been to the Orioles Park. You yeah, took it's a me cool Camden Yard. You took me to the Nationals Park. Yes. Way back when. And the view from there is pretty cool. Is incredible. But you uh But you're right. It's expensive and kind of difficult to get in. To get in. Yeah. It's Whereas true. Camden Yard, it's like I mean, it's a class. it's Now they finally got a good team up there too in Baltimore. It's a cool park. Well, you'll have to take me there sometime. 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 One of these days. One of these days. One of these days. Well, today is Tuesday, August the 22nd. It is the Feast of the Queenship of Mary. We will talk more about that uh, in light of St. Bernard of Clairvaux with uh, Chris McGregor from Discerning Hearts at the end of the hour. Hope you can stay around for it. Right now it's nine past. And Father Tad Pekulczyk joins us now on the Sunrise Morning Show from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Father, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. So the U.S. bishops have signed on to a statement from the National Catholic Bioethics Center to what's known as the Uniform Law Commission. 
there's a proposed revision to a law that would, am I right about this, essentially change the definition of death as it pertains to brain death? Yes. Uh, it's not actually a law, but it's a series of recommendations uh, that are made by the Uniform Law Commission. And then what happens is different states can modify their own laws about declaring people dead based on these recommendations from this special commission. So what happened was, like, 40 years ago, uh, there was a special presidential commission that sort of stepped into this area and started looking at what's required for a valid declaration of death. And they wrote up what's come to be known as the UDDA, or Uniform Determination of Death Act. And it was very clearly written back then. Uh, and it basically said you had to have irreversible cessation of all functions of the brain uh, in order to be declared brain dead. And so this was what they recommended 40 years ago. It, uh, that recommendation was taken, and all 50 states of the United States borrowed language from their recommendation. Uh, and it's been sort of part of the legal and medical landscape ever since. And now there is pressure afoot to kind of go back and change this definition uh, in such a way that it would, in effect, lower uh, the, the, the requirements in order to be declared dead or deceased, uh, specifically in the realm of brain death declarations. So this is something that, you know, we've drafted this statement around to uh, say to the Uniform Law Commission that, we're concerned about this proposed change and that it doesn't make sense to go in the direction they're suggesting. What we instead should be doing is improving the kinds of tests mm. that are done to patients to determine whether they have died or whether they're still alive. Well, tell me and, this, Father. Why are they taking this under consideration at all at this point after you said 40 years? Yes. That's a, a kind of complicated question, because I think a lot of people, their first instinct is to say, well, this is just about getting more organs for mm -hmm. organ donation. Um, and, you know, you hear that on the airwaves a bit, but I don't think that's quite, uh, quite the situation, because this, the current set of tests that are being done to find out if somebody has died, uh, th there's certain areas that have loopholes, if you will. Uh, there's a part of the brain that's kind of at the base of the brain called the hypothalamus, and there aren't any tests that are done to find out if that part of the brain is still working. And that's just how it is today. It's been sort of a, a loophole that nobody's really addressed. And mm -hmm. so what the Uniform Law Commission is doing is saying, well, let's just not worry too much about that, and let's just say if these other parts of the brain are, are clearly not functioning, then we're good to go, and we're going to call the person dead. And so, you know, it's allowing a kind of partial brain death uh, to definition to step in and take over, and that's clearly something that, you know, is not compatible with our understanding of what it means to be a human being and how we die, 
we need to have that irreversible loss of all functions of the brain, not just some or a few or here or there. Uh, so, you know, the answer to your question is, is that this appears to be something that has uh, arisen out of clinical practice that's been going on that's been a little bit loose, um, you know, or frayed around the edges, and we need to tighten up the clinical testing that's done and hold the same definition of brain death that we've always held. Uh, and that will assure then that when your medical team, you know, comes to the family and says, we're sorry to tell you that your loved one has died, you know, you'll be able to have reasonable certitude, reasonable moral assurance that what they're telling you is indeed accurate, and then there won't be any problem with you as a family signing the dotted line and saying, well, you know, we would like to donate uh, his organs or her organs in this uh, unfortunate situation. Well, Father, so, what would happen if the the commission goes with this proposal proposal as it stands that they they do decide to adopt this language that would essentially make partial brain death um, okay for uh, declaring total brain death? Well, it means that you would have situations, admittedly not very many or very common situations, but you would have some of them, a few of them, where you would have individuals who would still have some parts of the brain, especially that lower part that I mentioned, the hypothalamus, that would still be functioning, Mm. and yet they could be declared dead. So that's the problem here that, you know, we as the center are concerned about. And so you would basically have a living person, a person who's still alive, who still has a functioning part of the brain, who would be able to be declared dead and whose organs could be taken. So uh, we need to be sure that the legal definitions around death and declaring death make sense and are in accord with the medical and biological understandings of death. We don't want to be setting up some separate kind of category here, which becomes then a fiction about what it means to die. Father, do you happen to know when the commission is going to make a ruling, have they said? Um, You know, the latest that I've heard is that thanks to statements like the one that we issued uh, and other pressure from other quarters that they appear to be uh, delaying any decision on this uh, for the foreseeable future. Fantastic. Well, we will keep an eye on it. And uh, thank you so much, Father Tad Pakulchik, for uh, unpacking this for us. If you'd like to read the full statement from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Tad, thank you. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. It was great to have you. All right. It's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. 
Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, lighthouse work, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. EWTN, communicating the faith. The best way to practice not really being able to fully celebrate in other people's successes is to go to what you're grateful for in your own life. So when someone next to you is having a, a great success, you immediately go to, Lord, I'm so grateful. I have my health. Well, I have my husband. I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. And all of a sudden, everything becomes just perfect. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. There's a new bishop of Great Falls, Billings, Montana today. President Biden has said the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires he visited there yesterday. And the Holy See has confirmed that a part two of Laudato Sea is in the works. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, Anna Mitchell want to encourage people to go check out uh, on our Facebook page. I've posted a link to Dr. Benjamin Lewis on the journey home last oh, night. Oh, nice. Yes. So uh, I think I've mentioned before, he and I went to the same liberal arts Christian college about mm-hmm. a year apart. I left and then uh, he came in. So oh, we just okay. missed one another. I was going to say, did you know each other there? Just missed one another. Actually, I met him at an alumni event for our college, believe it or not. And I, I don't know, like we each had our Catholic radar up or something. But yeah. So you didn't go with, like, your Catholic radar on specifically? I went to go check out what was going on in my old, my old college, my alma mater. Yeah. Because I hadn't been there in a while. Hmm. And it was, it was, like, an alumni event in, like, the D.C. area. We went to, like, a brunch. Okay. Brunch. I don't know, what like, what's wrong with me, but, like, I have no desire to do that with well, my alma mater. Uh, there are so like many. I live in Cincinnati, and I went to Ohio University. Went to there are OU. so many. Bobcat. There's so many events that take place in Cincinnati I for OU alumni, and I am not at all interested in going to. Any there were like a couple them. hundred in my graduating class. Okay, it was small. All right, so the maybe it's of me like... seeing people I knew were high. Yeah. Okay. So I you guess. Got that. But I I have been reluctant because I I feel like when people are like, "What do you do for a living?" I feel like there's a lot of things I have to explain. <laughs> I would imagine. What do you do for a living? Well, well, I work with people who convert to Catholicism. It's 20 sort of. past. Lies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glen Mary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glen Mary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, May we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your son, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Always great to talk to Father Philip LeRae from Humanity 2.0. He teaches in Rome, and we're grateful he takes a little time to talk to us every now and then. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Good to be back on the program. Yeah, I'm interested to hear uh, about this uh, particular thing, Claude 2. Uh, what is Claude 2? Uh, because it it seems like, well, well, I'll just let you explain it. Okay. Uh, Cloud2 is uh, Anthropic's GPT, and it rivals OpenAI's GPT because uh, they were one of the first to invest time and energy and money in creating this artificial intelligence. So what... Cloud, uh, Cloud 2 seems to be doing much better than the others is logical processing. And so Anne, Anna mentioned that she thought it was interesting that the uh, article that introduces this new version, the older version was 1.3, seems to say that it does logic reasoning better than humans. And I think that that's true. Uh, first of all, it does it much more quickly. Second of all, it can uh, access databases which are much too large for the, the human mind. And uh, thirdly, it doesn't make mistakes in terms of the logic uh, that it's doing. And that's simply because we were able to translate logical patterns of human intellect into uh, mathematical code and therefore the machines can do it. This has been going on for more than 50, 60 years. Now, here's the interesting thing. It doesn't, it doesn't arrive at truth better than humans. And I think that going forward with these enormous uh, language processors, we're going to have to, how can I say, we're going to have to understand that humans are much better at truth than machines. The machines probably beat us at logic, and I teach logic, and so I know sometimes the students, they don't get very good grades. Uh, but the machines don't do truth. And in Anthropic, even uh, they're very responsible. They even say that. They say, be careful about using 
this GPT, which is generative AI, in order to arrive at truth because it can make mistakes. And I think that um, that's what we have to keep in mind. Well, that just opened the door to about 15 different potential ways to take this conversation, right? Uh, because let's face it, we've been using computers to do logical processes better than us for a very long time because that's what a calculator does in some ways, right? right. right. We kind of acknowledge right. that it's, it's, I mean, we can work it out on a scrap of paper or we can punch it in and get a much quicker and uh, more accurate result. But this idea of truth, I mean, this is a different, well, I mean, you watch a lot of movies. I mean, how many, how many uh, sci-fi dystopian movies have been based on the idea of a, an AI or, a, you know, some kind of a, 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 an Android system making purely logical decisions without a human element? I mean, this is something that if you don't apply ethics to the development of it, you could go a lot of bad directions. Yeah. And I, and I think that the leaders in the AI field are becoming more and more aware of this. And they're asking uh, different people in the Vatican, different priests, etc., to uh, weigh in on the ethics and, and the morality of, of these systems, simply because we don't want to uh, give control to the machines. We want to maintain control and we want to use the machines for our own purposes to achieve our own goals, which I think is is admirable. I think that, that that's exactly what we should be doing. But we have to be careful when we turn control over to the machines or when we ask the machines to give us what the truth is. Uh, they, 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 they don't know. You know that, that I've always I love machines. I love AI. You know that. But AIs are dumb. You know, it, it, I don't I don't mean that in a in a mean way. I mean that in, they're not aware they're not conscious and therefore they don't have access to the truth necessarily. They have access to a bunch of data, they have access to the internet, et cetera, et cetera. But even Anthropic and, and Sam Altman says the same thing. Be careful when you use these tools and think that you're going to arrive at truthful results. You have to double check and you have to be an expert in the field. You have to ask other people, et cetera. So let's, let's use these tools but as tools, not to substitute the human intellect, but to help it. Well, and this is where that, you know, big $10 phrase that seems to come up every time here, Christian anthropology matters. You know, what is a human being and, you know, what does it mean to be morally oriented? What does it mean uh, to, and, you know, the, the developers of AI may fall on different places on this question, but we know where we fall about being made in the image of God. And so if we're to reflect our creator, matters that what we create reflects us uh, you know in a more true way because i mean anybody can i mean anybody can just look at a piece of paper and say well this is this is what the logical quote-unquote thing to do is but i mean if you're taking into account morality and humanity i mean there's a lot of things that would be logical to do in terms of raising my son but i got to take his humanity into account <laughs> right when i decide how Absolutely. to you know how to correct him or how to form him i mean this is it's just kind of basic parenting. Parenting is not done merely so, according to logic. Yeah, it's it's a great metaphor when you say we were created in the image and likeness of God. Well, we're creating artificial intelligence in our own image. So let's try to put our best image in uh, forward 
so that it will reflect the best of humanity, the best of, of what we're capable of and not the worst. So, you know, that's my prayer always that, uh, keep, let's keep focused and, and make these tools, uh, to work for us. Yeah. At the service of humanity, as opposed to in competition exactly. with humanity. Good exactly. stuff. Well, thanks so much, father, Philip LeRae from humanity 2.0. We've got his website linked at sunrise Have a great day. Okay. Thanks Matt. So long. All right. And again, you can find him linked at sunrisemorningshow.com along with all of the guests we speak to every day. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. There's a new bishop of Great Falls, Billings, Montana today. Pope Francis has officially accepted the retirement of Bishop Michael Warfall, and succeeding him is Bishop Jeffrey Fleming, who's been serving as coadjutor. He automatically takes the reins of the diocese as of today. After closing the Jesuit-run Central American University in Managua last week, authorities in Nicaragua have now expelled a community of Jesuit priests from their private residence close to the university. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a press release, the Conference of Jesuit Provincials of Latin America and the Caribbean said that on the 19th of August, the community was ordered by the police to leave Villa Carmen, their personal residence, despite showing documents proving that the building was not part of the university, but a private property belonging to the Jesuits. The Jesuit priests are safe and now hosted in the Centro Sant'Ignacio in the Nicaraguan capital. The expulsion is the latest move in the crackdown of Daniel Ortega's Sandinista regime against the Catholic Church and the opposition. On August the 16th, the Nicaraguan authorities confiscated the prestigious Jesuit Central American University, alleging that it was a center of terrorism. The allegation has been rejected by the university's management as totally false and unfounded. The Jesuit Superior General, Father Arturo de Sosa, joined last week in expressing solidarity with the Jesuits in Nicaragua while appealing for paths of dialogue. The closure of UCA and the subsequent expulsion of the Jesuits come a year after the arrest of Bishop Rolando Alvarez of Matacalpa, who has been sentenced to over 26 years in jail and is currently detained in a high-security prison in Managua. Over the past months, several organizations have appealed for his liberation. The appeal was reiterated last week by the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights and the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights for Anglophone Central America and the Caribbean. I am Lisa Zingarini. The Holy See has confirmed that a part two of Laudato Si is in the works. Vatican News reports the Holy Father had revealed in off-the-cuff remarks to a delegation from the Council of Europe yesterday that he was working on a second part to the encyclical to update it to current issues. Vatican Press Director Matteo Bruni said the updated version will focus in particular on the most extreme weather events and catastrophes affecting people across five continents. President Biden says the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires. He toured the town of Lahaina yesterday, meeting with families and first responders. He stressed how much he wants Maui to regain its same character as it rebuilds. Officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue, and 114 people have been confirmed dead. 
Former President Trump's bond in the Georgia election case is set at $200,000. Brian Shook has more. Trump's lawyers met with the Fulton County District Attorney's Office on Monday to negotiate terms of his bond and release. As part of the agreement, Trump can't perform any acts of witness intimidation or communicate directly or indirectly about the facts of the case with any co-defendants except through his lawyer. Trump and co-defendants in the case have until noon Friday to surrender. I'm Brian Shook. American workers are apparently demanding a record amount of money to take a new job. Mark Mayfield reports. According to a new survey by the New York Federal Reserve, the minimum acceptable salary offer to switch jobs topped $78,000 during the second quarter of 2023. That's an increase of about 8% from last year, and it's the highest level on record. The survey also notes a gap between the wage that workers want and what was actually offered by employers. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Archdiocese of San Francisco is headed to bankruptcy court. The Archdiocese announced yesterday it has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In a statement, the Archbishop said the move was made to facilitate settlements with abuse survivors in more than 500 lawsuits. Many of those involve abuse that allegedly occurred more than 30 years ago with priests no longer active. That's the news. It's 35 past. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, When will Christ judge us? Christ will judge us immediately after our death and on the last day. In the Gospel of Matthew, Christ reveals that he is both Savior and Judge. And so, when does this judgment happen? Well, it happens first when we die. Because when we die, our soul is separated from our body... And there we then are presented with eternity. He sees whether or not we have repented. He sees whether or not we have received the grace that he wanted to give us. And that is precisely the first judgment. But there is also the second judgment. Then all things will be revealed. We will see what others have done. We will see how we ourselves fit into God's plan. That will bring us then the condemnation or the joy that will be our ultimate fate to live with God in joy forever or to be without God in unhappiness forever. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain. Joined, well, actually, I think we're waiting to get Steve Rayo. I don't think we have him. We got it. We got it. Steve Steve Ray now joining us from CatholicConvert.com. He's a great... Uh, pilgrimage guide. He's an apologist. He's written all kinds of stuff. 
about various things, including a recent book, a commentary on the book of Genesis. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Always nice to talk with you in the morning. All right. Well, I like to talk about one of these topics more than the other. We're talking about heaven and hell today. (laughs) Uh, And heaven actually has a couple of different uh, contexts uh, in which it's referred to in the scriptures. So when we hear the word heaven, what kinds of ranges of meanings do we come across in the Bible? Well, there's basically two. The word heaven or heavens is used 832 times roughly in the Bible. The first one is usually with a S, heavens, which refers to the sky. God created the heavens and the earth, meaning the universe and the sky and the earth below. The other one is usually singular heaven, and that is above the sky or outside of creation. That's used 521 times, and it's referring to heaven as the dwelling of God. So God is outside of his creation. Heavens usually means the sky or part of the creation that God made. Heaven is where God dwells outside of the universe. So, you know, for those of you who think that grammar doesn't matter, the singular and plural very much matter in this particular case. Uh, What about hell? Because some people would say it's not really in the Bible, but it's definitely in the Bible. Oh, it's in the Bible from beginning to end. It's everywhere. And uh, But it's a little bit hard to discuss it in a sense that there's several different words. There's hell, Gehenna, lake of fire, fiery furnace or pit, unspeakable misery, place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But there's two different meanings of hell, too. There is hell, which is the word Sheol in the Old Testament, and Hades in the New Testament. And that's not the place of the damned, of eternal fire. That's the place where the dead go while they're waiting for the redemption of Christ. And remember it says that Jesus went down into hell in the Apostles' Creed? He descended into hell. So why did he go to hell? He didn't go to the place of the damned. He went to the place where those who were had died before his redemption. We're waiting for him. He went down and said, hey, guys, I did it. It's completed. Let's go. I'm taking you to heaven now. So, th- But there's a Gehenna, which is the hell of the damned, which is not where Jesus went. So there's the, the hell of the dead, where the dead are waiting for their redemption. Then there is Gehenna, or the hell of the damned. So we have to make those two distinctions when we read the Bible, because they're very different places. Well, and uh, there are places that kind of get a a new distinction after the death and resurrection of Jesus because of the relationship that we have to heaven. So there's a lot uh, packed into that. But, you know, when you understand hell as the abode of the dead, uh, you know, through the course of much of the Bible, uh, that helps make sense of, you know, the King James translation of Psalm 139 where, um, you know, the psalmist says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Even if I make my bed in hell, thou art there, right? Uh, right, I mean, right, right. It's a different kind of understanding of uh, a use of the word hell than we would use today, which is the place of the damned. Right. In the New Testament, you pretty much see in modern translations the word Gehenna, which means the hell of the damned, and Hades, which means the waiting place or the place of the dead waiting to be taken up to heaven. So, for example, in Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. Some 
translations say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But it's really the word Hades. It means the place of the dead or the powers of death will not prevail against the church. So even in the New Testament, we see this oftentimes get mixed up with the word hell is used. It could mean Gehenna, the place of the damned, or Hades, the place of the dead. You ever been attacked by a gate, Steve? No, but I, I, but the interesting thing is I, I'm convinced that the gates of hell here are both defensive and offensive. In other words, those that behind there, the death and the, the powers of death and destruction, want to come out after us through the gates. But we can also be a, have the offensive and attack the gates in a sense by preaching the gospel and bringing salvation to souls. So that gates of hell uh, of Hades can I think both be defensive and offensive depending on how we look at it. Yeah, uh, it's, it is kind of an interesting way that Jesus phrases it. Uh, like so many things that our Lord says, everybody kind of thinks they know on the surface what he means by it, but uh, it takes a bit of reflection to kind of uh, see what he's getting at. But It does, yeah. You know, the the question that sometimes comes up is, you know, why do people still talk about hell if Jesus is the Lord of mercy? And, of course, we had the Marcionite heresy that sprung up in the early church that said that the Old Testament God was mean and the New Testament God— uh, you know, is nice, and, you know, Jesus has kind of moved us beyond this idea of eternal judgment. But if I recall correctly, nobody talks about hell in the Bible more than Jesus himself. That's absolutely true. I, I looked up the places where Gehenna is used, which is definitely the hell of the damned. And by the way, Gehenna comes from the valley that is south of Jerusalem. I know right where it is. And it was the Hinnom, Valley of Hinnom, and so it's called Gehenna. It's that valley, and it was where they threw all the dump, the trash, out of the city of Jerusalem. So there was always smoking and burning, and there was maggots and worms. That's why he said the worm dies not in the smoke and the fire. But when Jesus was explaining hell, he says, go look down there. That's what hell is like, Gehenna. So, but he talked about Gehenna being hell of fire and of torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever, 12 times in the Gospels. Nobody else talks about hell that much times, many times. Jesus does. And there was a heresy in the early church called universalism, that maybe you'd be punished after death if you were a sinner and you had not you know, acquired the mercy of God and become friends with God and salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross, and that eventually everybody would make it to heaven, because God is so merciful, he just wouldn't let anybody just spend eternity in hell with no chance of getting out. But that was called universalism, and it was a heresy, and guess what? It's coming back today. There's a lot of people that are again promoting the idea of universalism, and the Church continues to say that it's a heresy, that there is going to be an eternal damnation in hell, and there's going to be eternal bliss in heaven, and we have to make the decision. God doesn't send us one way or another. It's pretty clear in Scripture. We make that choice. First Timothy 2, 3, and 4, our God and Savior desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and he did everything necessary for us to be saved. If you're not saved and you go to hell, it's because you chose it. Well, you know, we might think that that's an unthinkable concept, and surely everyone would accept the mercy of God if offered it. But Steve, I don't know about you, but I've been a stubborn and arrogant jerk before, and somebody's tried to reconcile <laughs> with me, and I've been like, huh, uh nope, never. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've found myself in that thought process before, and when I notice that I'm doing it, it terrifies me because I'm like, that is the exact mindset of hell. It is. 
And when you talk about hell like this being an eternal damnation, it makes you want to get in your car and drive to the first confessional and confess, you know. But that's what it should do. We're Christians because we love God and because we want to respond to his love. But if we're just Christians because we're scared of hell, that's okay, too. Well, you know, there's a... There are levels of motivation, <laughs> right? And uh, you hope that, uh, well, heaven is, is eventually, you know, at the end of the day, it's not all the tacos you can eat, Steve, right? It's not, right. Uh, you know, it's boring I sitting on a cloud with a harp either. It's something much more than we often give heaven credit for being. Right, and I said to Janet, if, if heaven is just where I go up and sing a billion verses of Just As I Am, a hymn, um, I don't know that I'm going to like it up there. You know, just singing, there, singing the same hymns, billion verses. But I think that heaven is going to be a rollicking adventure. First of all, there's nothing more exciting than discovering new things, and God is infinite. And we are always going to be finite, even in heaven. We will never exhaust all of the glories and excitement of God, even through eternity, because he's infinite. We can never exhaust him. So it's going to be one rollicking adventure of discovery and glory and excitement. And there's one verse that really intrigues me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? When we're in heaven, we'll be judging angels. Matt, I have no clue what that means, but it sounds pretty darn exciting. It's not going to be a boring place. We're going to be busy up there. We may be discovering other universes God created. We, we're going to be judging good and evil. We're going to, I think it's going to be a wonderful place, and I'm convinced that we'll know our spouses in heaven as well. I told Janet, when I go to heaven, I want to spend eternity with her. And I think that that's perfectly correct. It says that there's no marriage or giving in marriage, but that means for procreation. Nobody's going to be getting married up there and having babies. But there will be the knowledge of our spouses and the knowledge of other people. And it says in the Catechism that that heaven is the uh, communion of life and love with the Trinity and all of the blessed that are there. And I'm going to be with my wife for eternity. Whatever else heaven is, if we have a... Uh, a, a blessed union in this life. We will be even more united to our fellow believers yeah. uh, in Absolutely. the next. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing to ponder. Steve Ray, we've got CatholicConvert.com linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. All right. Speaking of heaven, let's talk about the queen of heaven. With Chris McGregor coming up after the break, it's 13 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. 
The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. Do you worry about not having enough money? We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. What a great morning it is. What a great morning. Happy Feast of the Queenship of Mary. What a beautiful feast day. Yep. Love it. Absolutely. And this week's selection from the Office of Readings is for today's feast, taken from the homilies of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Remind us of who he is. Oh, the great doctor of the church. He is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who lived in the year right around 1000, the beginning of a new millennium. And one of his uh, wonderful compatriots was Hildegard von Bingen. He uh, knew her, corresponded with her, encouraged her. He was the great encourager, as it were. So many people came to him because he knew uh, the spiritual journey. He was able to help so many map it through. Uh, the brought about the Cistercians, who uh, great order uh, offshoot of essentially, as it were, reformed type of offshoot of the Benedictines. Um, absolutely an incredible, incredible man and a great lover of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Quite obviously. So this homily on the glories of the Virgin Mother is. So beautiful. And Chris, not that I think in in this way all the time, but definitely my apologetic mind um, got sparked here because this is a great, succinct answer to those who would dismiss the Blessed Virgin Mary simply as, you know, this vessel that God used for a little bit of time. And then when he was born, they just like ignored her or something. Can you talk about what Bernard of Clairvaux had to say about God's choice to create Mary? She uh, is the queen of humility and the queen of uh, so many of the the different things that we look at in the, in the church because God had fashioned her to be the vessel of the Holy of Holies. She would be free from the stain of original sin because it was about Jesus, ultimately, that he, that for the son to be born of the queen of the virtues so that he could exemplify through his great sacred humanity and divinity 
all that would help elevate us, but it had to come from a woman who had the humility to say yes and to say it so purely. You know, it, it drives me nuts, Anna, when I see depictions of the Blessed Virgin Mary and it somehow robs her of her dignity. Yeah. You know, this this woman who had, because even as a young girl, knew who she was. And, and that's the great gift of humility. It's not a, a I'm, I'm, I'm a nothing to the extent that, oh, I'm, you know, not worthy of anything. No, she was a nothing to the extent that she understood that God does all things. And if I just, I say yes to whatever he asks of me. And in this, her son ultimately would say that same type of yes in the Garden of Gethsemane mm. and the and embracing of the cross. She is um, just uh, just incredible. Just incredible. And and what I love, one of the, the first lines of this homily, who could come from a virgin birth except God himself, the maker of mankind, if he was to be made man and destined to be born of man, would have to choose to create a mother whom he knew to be worthy of him, who he knew would be pleasing to him. And and Bernard of Clairvaux goes on to say, like, it was his will that she would be unstained, that she would be pure from sin, that she would be meek and humble of heart, that she would have all of these virtues. It was his will that she would be this pure. Exactly. And when we talk about the purity, we're not just talking about the, what happens in the with the body, with virginity, but also the virginity of the mind. Yes. A purity of her mind. That way, it, in her expression, her living out of the virtues, that it, that the angel Gabriel, when he comes and pronounces, she's full of grace. Okay. For anybody who has, um, it says, well, she was just like the rest of us. How can you say that, especially those those who embrace and love the scriptures so much? How can you how can you look at what the angel Gabriel says to her that she is full of grace? That in itself says that she was a vessel like no other. Because who is full of grace? Because if we if we have sinned, if we um, have lacked in our expression of the virtues then we're not full of grace. Mm -hmm. We're not full of the divine life. And yet the angel Gabriel, the messenger of God, comes and says, you, you highly favored daughter, you full of grace. That says it right there. And in that moment, and her whole life would be exemplified in that. Did she struggle? Yes. Did she have in that um, experiencing the pain of her son's suffering? Um, and probably in the sorrow of, of Joseph dying and those types of things like us. And yet she was able to encounter even those hardships with the uh, a life filled with an overflowing of virtue and grace. And we can do that, too, if we look towards her and ask for her help. He writes, adorned with the jewels of such virtues and radiant in both mind and body, the royal virgin's beauty draws the attention of the citizens of heaven itself, and its king is filled with desire for her and sends his messenger to her from 
on high. Go read this in the Office of Readings for the Feast of the Queenship of Mary, a homily on the Blessed Virgin Mother by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And we've been talking about it with Chris McGregor. You can find her site, discerninghearts.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Chris, thank you so much. Ave Maria. Ave Maria. Absolutely. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.